Number one fan of the podcast, Donnie Druin from All Sun Devil, swings by today to talk the three biggest transfer news pieces for Arizona State Sun Devils football in the last month. This is a Friday edition of the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. You are Locked on Sun Devils, your daily podcast on the Arizona State Sun Devils. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome back to the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. My name is Richie Bradshaw, and I will be your guide for everything Arizona State Sun Devils. This episode of the Locked on Sun Devils is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And before we get started, wherever you get your podcasts, remember we're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, if you would like to check us out on a visual platform. But make sure you hit that subscribe button, and turn on notifications so you don't miss an episode that we upload as we are Monday through Friday right now. And if you're on Twitter, go ahead and make sure that you hit me up with that follow. That's going to be at RichieBrad36. Follow my good friend Donnie Druin as well, at Donnie Druin, and follow all the All Sun Devils content that he pushes out at All Sun Devils. Donnie, thank you so much for swinging by. As per usual, how you doing, my friend? I'm great, yeah. So I, I don't know if you noticed this. You called me number one fan of the show, which is true, by the way. But I would oh, also like no, to think no, myself friend, number, number one, one friend. friend. Whoops. I mean, I I see your YouTube videos on my homepage all the time. So like, I I am probably your number one fan too. Well, I mean, I'll take that absolutely. But no, uh, let let me amend that. This is number one friend of the podcast. Sorry, Connor. You uh. You're up there. You're probably number three, you know, after Donnie Druin and Rashad White. So two's not bad. No, 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 not at all. So Donnie, again, thank you so much for swinging by. Let's go ahead and hop right into our conversation. We're going to be going through the three biggest transfer news pieces for Arizona State Sun Devils over the last month. We're going to start off with the arrival of Emory Jones before we close out with Jermaine Lole and Ricky Pearsall's departures. But Going right into the Emory Jones news, Donnie, this was something that we had kind of speculated for a little while, and I remember this was something that you brought up at one point. This is the first time I had heard of it, too, was from All Sun Devils, so big old humble brag right there is Donnie Druin pointing out that the Sun Devils should be, or could be, at least pursuing Emory Jones. Yeah, I don't want to take too much credit because when you kind of put the pieces together, uh, you know, Arizona State undoubtedly was looking for outside talent at the quarterback position after looking at guys like Paul Tyson and Trenton Borgay through spring practice. They obviously felt like they needed to add an upgrade. And when you looked across the country, basically it was only JT Daniels and Emory Jones and a big drop off between everybody else who was available at the quarterback position. Uh, JT Daniels uh, ultimately moving on um, from Georgia, and then obviously you just have Emory Jones left. Uh, he was basically the only candidate, but I feel like the Sun Devils believe he's the right candidate uh, for their offense. And um, I, I know we just touched on uh, Borgay and Tyson, and uh, poor Paul Tyson, by the way, using up his free transfer to come to Arizona State, only to pretty much not be guaranteed to start a quarterback job like he had wanted after Jaden Daniels had left. Um, there was a little bit of traction for Emory Jones coming to Arizona State 
shortly after uh, spring practice when everybody around the program kind of knew that, hey, neither of the two quarterbacks we expected to compete for the starting job is really, quote unquote, that guy. They are not that guy, pal. Trust me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you you look at a guy like Emory Jones and um, Emory's commitment actually could have been a little bit of sooner. I had one source tell me that he, the only reason he didn't commit basically right after Arizona State spring practice was because he graduated from Florida and it was his birthday weekend uh, a couple oh, of weeks nice. after spring practice. Yeah, so he had a couple stuff going on. That's why he chose to kind of let it breathe out a little bit before he went and committed to Arizona State. As far as I know, the Sun Devils were the only team that he did visit with during the offseason. So it, it just felt like a match made in heaven. And for everybody wondering, yeah, I have had people tell me within ASU that they do expect Emory Jones to be the starter come week one. Yeah, and that shouldn't be too much of a surprise because Emory no. is a proven guy who had good numbers in the SEC. Now, he wasn't dominant. And for what it's worth, if you take away his game against Sanford, where he threw six touchdowns, he was also a 13 touchdown to 13 interception guy. But yep. for what it's worth, he definitely appears to be an upgrade over Jaden Daniels. Now, a little while ago, I had a uh, Locked On Gators host, Brandon Olson, and a good friend of both of ours swing by the That podcast. was a really good episode. And I appreciate that. See, that that's what episode. I'm talking about. Number one friend and number one that's fan of the podcast. Yeah. But Brandon Olson swung by to talk Emory Jones with me. And he had mentioned, and I think I agree with him. I'm curious about your opinions, Donnie, that... Emery is a definitive upgrade over Jaden Daniels. What are your overall thoughts on that kind of a statement? You know, it's funny because I feel like both you and I have talked about this both on and off air, how Emery Jones, if you're going to try to find a replacement for Jaden Daniels, like in terms of being almost a carbon copy, you're looking at a guy like Emery Jones. I mean, just like the athleticism for the quarterback position, um, the arm, but like the sometimes questionable decision-making um, it, it's all kind of there with Emory Jones, just like it was for Jaden Daniels. Now, I, I do agree that he's a little bit more refined in the fact that he has gone up against top-tier SEC competition and has balled out against those defenses, um, whereas compared to Jaden Daniels, where he did struggle uh, against you know the Pac-12 defenses, which I know the conference does get a lot of slack, but if you're going to pair any conference up against the SEC, they're going to look inferior. Um, but no, Emory Jones, I, I feel like he's almost everything that Jaden Daniels was, if not a little bit more. I mean, uh, the, the consistency is a very big issue, not issue, but um, almost like a question I want Emory to answer for me for the upcoming season. Um, dynamic playmaker, like we already kind of touched on with his legs. You, know, you can never really discount him taking off. Uh, I think the most important part, though, and maybe this is where Jaden Daniels definitely lacked, uh, wink, wink, the locker room video, leadership. Emory Jones is a leader, and he, I believe it was Sun Devil Source where Emory Jones talked with after he had committed, and he said Arizona State told him they were looking for a leader in the locker room. Um, so that's undeniably one of his best qualities. And I remember, and shout out to Brandon as well, uh, Brandon Dawson on the uh, the one of the previous episodes with you said more than anything, he's a phenomenal guy. So uh, you hope he could take his talents. Uh, both on the ground and through the air, combine his leadership and take Arizona State to heights that some people probably think they shouldn't touch next year. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned the explosiveness because I feel like that's one of the attributes that he really brings to the table that we saw with Jaden as a runner, but did not see that as a passer. Now, one of the most interesting things that I saw when looking at Emory Jones was his composure when the blitz was coming in. 
and he was one of the most effective quarterbacks, not only in the SEC, but across the entire country in blitz percentage, or not blitz percentage, but like his uh, like passer rating and his completion percentage and the big playability. When the blitz came in and looking at the, at the tape and the highlight reels, you see a guy who's not afraid to stay in the pocket, step into the pocket, and keep the eyes downfield instead of panicking. And I feel like that was a big-time issue with Jaden was when the blitz would come in, he would get panicky in the pocket or he would roll out immediately. And I mean, there were times where it worked. There were times where he would roll out of the pocket and it turned into that really splashy big play running that we saw. But Emery appears to be a pretty good upgrade in terms of pocket presence as a quarterback. Yeah, that was the one big knock on Jaden. You know, you saw everything else out of him that you wanted. And Richie, I, I know you remember just as much as I do after Jaden's freshman year. They were talking about him as a potential first-round pick whenever he wanted to go out and into the draft. And, you know, to kind of see um, how he went stagnant a little bit in his career it was unfortunate. And I, I do hope him and wish him all the best uh, for his future endeavors at LSU. But, yeah, I mean, when talking about pocket presence and just the ability to – stay calm and collected. Uh, Embry definitely has the upper hand over Jaden because when you go back and you watch a lot of those ASU games and, um, you know, the, the games where ASU just blew it, I'm thinking of BYU, I'm thinking of Utah. Um, there were times where Jaden got a little bit rattled in the pocket and then, you know, a couple plays later, he started seeing ghosts and it came back to haunt him with decision-making decision and just overall ability to take care of the football, which is something that Jaden was heralded for his freshman year at Arizona State. So um, very interesting. I don't expect Arizona State to change too much with their offense. I still expect a pro-style offense to come from them. Um, you saw a lot of designed quarterback runs with Emory at Florida. I'm not exactly sure what the game plan is and what Glenn Thomas, ASU's, excuse me, offensive coordinator, wants to do with that. But at least the ability is there in his back pocket, just in case. Well, looking at the Arizona State Sun Devils offense, this seemed like a perfect tailor-made fit for Emory Jones. But you also heard that the team was trying to get to a more, you know, quote-unquote pro-style offense this offseason, which is what a lot of people kind of leaked Paul Tyson to, was it was like, hey, you know, this is a guy who is your standard pocket passer, and this could be an offense that is really made for Tyson to succeed. But in comes Emory Jones, who is very similar to Jaden Daniels. Do you think this is an offense that they will kind of force a pro-style offense with? And admittedly, you do have pro-style offenses that work with mobile quarterbacks. Like you look at what Kansas City has created for Patrick Mahomes. You look at uh, what Buffalo has made for Josh Allen. You yep. do have pro teams that have, you know, the quote-unquote, again, quote-unquote pro-style offenses that work for mobile quarterbacks. Do you think that you're trying to, in a sense, emulate what those teams have done? Or do you keep it the way that you were, where you are more of a spread offense because Emery and Jaden Daniels are admittedly very similar play-style quarterbacks? Definitely, yeah. So I think new offensive coordinator coming in, Glenn Thomas, taking over for Zach Hill, um, definitely still intends on having a pro-style offense. And something I'm glad that he brought up during spring practice was you need to be able to kind of um, flow and mesh 
and kind of adapt to the quarterback that's running the offense. So I, I do think while we will see um, a lot of like pro sets, especially with Arizona State's uh, receiving core being depleted and then, you know, looking almost as strong as ever, uh, just in terms of returning potential running backs and their ability to run the football in 2022. And I do think it's going to be a more pro style offense, but I mean, the, a good offensive coordinator and a good football team will definitely kind of uh, mold to the quarterback and their strengths. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't surprise, I wouldn't be surprised, excuse me, to see uh, a little variation of both. But at the end of the day, we're talking about Arizona State. We're talking about a team that's going to run the ball 25 to 30 times a game. We're talking about a team that's going to play possession. They're going to grind the clock out. And they're going to make you earn every point of the scoreboard that you try to do, at least without turnovers. Right. And looking at the weapons that he does have, you know, I look at the receiving core. I don't know that it's that much better than what Emery had last year. He had uh, Copeland, who transferred to Maryland. And uh, talking with Brandon Olson again, he said Copeland was a guy who was like a frustrating uh, receiver who would make the big plays, but then would drop the the easy passes. And they did have an NFL running back with Damian Pierce, who was drafted this past season. Looking at Arizona State, I feel like it's very similar, where you don't really have any kind of great options at the receiver that are proven. You know, I I mentioned yesterday that I think that Brandon, uh, Brandon Thompson, Brian Thompson, excuse me, could be in for a good season with a larger role for the team. But outside of that, you have an unproven option in Andre Johnson. You have a guy who's been a complete non-factor with Chad Johnson, a guy who turned heads in spring practice with Elijah Badger and a couple other younger guys. Do you think, and uh, I do want to mention real quick, he does have some very good options in the backfield with Xavier Valade, uh, Dana Nagata. We are excited for uh, Deontay Elliott as well as Tevin White. And of course, Donnie's guy, Messiah Swinson at the tight end position. Do you think that this is a good enough offense and weapon wise for Emery to find success in year one? <laughs> If Ricky Parasol was on the roster, I think this is a much different yep. conversation. 100%. Having watched all of the receivers you had previously mentioned, the potential was there. But I feel like at Arizona State, we've been talking about potential for a few years now, and it really just hasn't matured into what we've wanted it to be. Yep. I think – Emery would be much better served with a guy like Pearsall, who oddly enough went to Florida. And we'll, we'll touch on that here. I, in, ironic. In yeah, super ironic. Um, it, it's rare you see trades in college football like that. 100%. I think, it's, man. I, I think his talent core is serviceable. I don't think it's anything crazy over the top. I do think he will need a guy. He will absolutely need a guy like Elijah Badger, like Chad Johnson Jr., somebody to step up especially with Pearsall gone, especially with LV, Bunkley, Shelton gone as well. The, the top two receivers are gone like that through the transfer portal. Um, one name to keep an eye out on, and the, the more I watch him, the more I like him. Transfer receiver Cam Johnson from Vanderbilt. Yeah. Very – he's not over-the-top exciting, uh, but he's he's a dude that, like, you throw the ball to him, and it's if it's anywhere within his catch radius, he'll go up and grab it. Um, so he's really versatile. He could play in the slot. He could play outside the slot. So I think if Johnson steps up like he's supposed to and Arizona State sees another guy um, like Johnson, like Badger, like somebody kind of emerge into like a wide receiver one, wide receiver two role, I think Emery, Emery excuse me, will be just fine. 
Um, but like I mentioned earlier, the Sun Devils are that team to where, you know, they're not going to be crazy about passing the ball. They are going to rely on their run game. And like you already mentioned, I mean, you got a phenomenal, almost NFL-ready tight end in Messiah Swinson. So I expect that security blanket to be utilized early and often in 2022. And last question I'll have before we call it quits on the Emory-Jones conversation. Is Emory going to be good enough to get the Sun Devils back on track to be a bowl-eligible team? Maybe surprise some people in the South Division and overall just build enough confidence to perhaps give Herm Edwards one more season? I don't know if Emory's that good to save jobs at ASU. What I will right. tell you is I definitely expect Arizona State to be bowl eligible this year, despite all th this like very odd discourse around the program, even after they got Emory Jones. Um, I, I don't know if you saw, but like John Wilner released his like quarterback, like ranking sort of Pac-12, and he ranked Arizona State 11th out of the, the 12 Pac-12 teams with Emory Jones added to the core too, which is mm. interesting to say the least, but I, I guess Gotta that's disagree. just more people for, yeah, it's just more people for Emory to impress and prove wrong here next year. I Like I said, do expect ASU to be a bowl eligible team. I don't think Emory is good enough to save any jobs whatsoever. It's not a knock on Emory, but man, like to put that pressure on a kid, especially with everything else going on in the program, Kind of tough for me to buy, especially whenever you factor in the outside stuff. We still have no idea when the investigation around the program is still supposed to conclude. Too many factors. If Pearson and Elfie, uh, Bunkley Shelton were back on in, in the mix, and I, I would say Arizona State should be an eight to nine win team easily. But you know, okay. they're not there, so we, we can't really talk about them. We can't use them for ex expectations. But I do think with a strong running game, a hopefully very strong defense and maybe a guy or two stepping up in the passing game. Yeah, Arizona State should kind of continue on the trajectory that they were at. Well, I like it. Donnie Drew and a lot more positive about this team than I am. Trying not to be negative Nancy here, but it is not the easiest thing in the whole world to do. Let's go ahead and hop into our first break. When we return, we're going to go ahead and start the conversation about two guys who left the program. We'll go over that in just a minute. This is the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. And again, thank you guys so much for making the Locked On Sun Devils your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Donnie, we talked about the addition that the Sun Devils made at the quarterback position with Emory Jones. Next, I want to talk about the departures that we had. And there's been a lot, you know, it feels like we've <laughs> lost 90% of the team. I think it's been like 16 or 17 guys, but yep. perhaps the biggest loss of the team, Jermaine Lole officially transferring to the University of Louisville. Give me just your overall thoughts before we dive a little more in depth on this. You know, it was interesting. Whenever Lole first wanted to test out the market, um, you know, he told Sun Devil Source that it was due to NIL reasonings. And obviously, um, you know, if you follow college football at all within the last 12 months, you know everything there is 
about the NIL and, you know, how the transfer portals kind of went hand in hand with that, especially with recruiting as well. I mean, you even saw, uh, you know, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher trade shots at each other through, you know, their, their press conferences and the offseason. So uh, side note, very excited to watch that game this upcoming fall. Oh, 100%. That, 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 that's going to be a barn burner. Switching back to Lole, though, he wanted to explore his options, but the feeling around Arizona State, this is something he told Chris Cartman, too, was he still wanted to stay at Arizona State. He was just exploring. Um, the problem with that is that whenever you are trying to find grass that is greener on the other side, you are typically going to find that grass that is greener in one form or another. Um, it was odd because he had four visits scheduled. Um, he had a visit with Louisville first, and then he was supposed to visit Florida on May 20th, and then following visits with, uh, I believe, Texas Tech and then Oregon. Um, Lole went and visited Oregon, tweeted out, this place is different and different. And then on the day he was supposed to go visit Florida, he had committed to Louisville, um, which tells me that he absolutely fell in love with the campus enough to forego visits to schools like Florida, Texas Tech, and Oregon, N not even visiting them, just straight up, hey, I, I want to be here. I don't want to go anywhere else. That kind of tells me that Lole was looking to get out from the get-go and it, it, it sucked because I, I talked with somebody within ASU's football program and they before Lole committed and they were kind of like cautiously optimistic that Lole would return um, so it, it appears to me that that move at least kind of did catch a couple people by surprise within Arizona State um, but like just looking at it from afar not the most surprising thing in the world but I mean Rich you could have you could have gave me 50 or $100 to use on bet online to bet where Jermaine Lole was going to play next year. And it would not have been Louisville. Louisville might have been the, the third or fourth choice behind Florida at Oregon. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't blame you for thinking that either because Louisville kind of in the middle of the pack in that ACC right now, Clemson definitely still at the top. NC state was a very nice surprise last year. Wake Forest was a very nice surprise last year for them as well. I feel like Louisville's right in the middle of what they got right now. They do have a good quarterback with Malik Cunningham, though. I am a fan of they, him. They do. And obviously being, you know, growing up in the area 10 years, I, you know, I can't I can't knock them too, too much. But as a great defensive prospect like Jermaine Lole is, I mean, you, you look at a program like Oregon, who just had a top five pick and came on Thibodeau. And, you know, I'm not saying Lole is close to Thibodeau just in terms of being a, a pro prospect. But, I mean, they obviously have the talent to get guys drafted extremely high. You look at a program like Florida, who continually pumps out NFL caliber players every single year. You can't necessarily say the same about Louisville and then Texas Tech. I'm still kind of like iffy on, not really sure. But, I mean, he believes it's a great fit for him. I just want to know what kind of money he got from them because obviously that was a big thing for him coming out. Extremely talented dude. I, I think he's a very nice guy as well. He's very marketable um, just in terms of whenever fans get to know him. I, I think they'll really like him at Louisville. I just want to know the, the dollar amounts that uh, he signed for. Yeah, that's probably the most interesting thing right now is because so many guys are getting so much money. I mean, the the biggest Biggest thing that we saw was Jordan Addison coming to the Pac-12 and joining USC and getting $3 million, which is more money than some pro guys are getting this year that entered the draft. I think the most uh, notable one was Steelers wide receiver George Pickens is not getting $3 million this year 
from the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he was a second-round pick. So, I mean, the, the NIL is getting totally insane, and it will be very interesting to see what Lole got. But looking at the player that he is, first I want to ask you, what kind of impact do you expect him to make for the Cardinals in his only year that is left, unless he does have one more year of eligibility from COVID or from injury, which he very well could, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Yeah, so everybody got that year from COVID, regardless of whether or not they they played or regardless of the amount of games they played. So 2020 uh, added an extra year of eligibility, and then he did not play all of last season. So I believe if he wanted to, he could probably try to get a waiver from the NCAA to add another year of eligibility words are tough today uh added another year of eligibility to um you know his resume but i mean lole was listed as you know one of the top 20 players by pro football focus heading into the college football season he was the number two um you know defensive interior lineman in in all college football rated by pro football focus who hates everybody by the way so for them to compliment you is an, an absolute uh dime sometimes uh, he, he's a game record. I mean, you know this. Everybody that's listening to this podcast already probably knows this. Jermaine Lole goes in and he messes up game plans for the offensive line. So I fully expect him to do that for the Cardinals. Um, will he be just like a transcendent defensive lineman like Indomitong Sue was? Probably not. But, I mean, we all know how good Jermaine Lole is. And if he's even close to 100% healthy from the triceps injury that he suffered before the beginning of the last year, I mean, the Cardinals are getting an absolute game changer in in the defensive line. I think the national media forgets that Lole had gotten some buzz as like a top 50 prospect heading into the the preseason, obviously. Like the the offseason stuff before he had that triceps injury. Oh, he was set to make himself a lot of money heading into this draft. Yeah, I feel like he could have put himself uh, for for Arizona State, not pro style, because unfortunately he didn't pan out. But I feel like he could have put himself in that like Will Sutton kind of category of a defensive player for Arizona State. Here's a fun question for you. Let's let's assume that Lole plays the entire season last year. Do you think him or Rashad White's drafted first? Uh, I would go Lole because of positional value. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think uh, running backs are not valued that much. Now I absolutely loved that White ended up being a day two guy and goes to a Same. great situation. But I think that Lole, like you mentioned, is a game wrecker. I mean, this dude will take your game plan, crumble it up into a ball, and shoot it into the trash can and yell Kobe while he does it. So uh, looking at Arizona State, though, how does this impact the team? Because uh, this just added to the laundry list of players that you lost, including Eric Gentry, both guys who I ranked as the top two players returning to Arizona State before they transferred I feel like Lole might have been the nail in the coffin here. It definitely sucks losing a guy like Gentry and then Lole on top of that. And on in what was supposed to be the strong point of Arizona State's football team, which was the, the defensive side of the ball, the side of the ball that was supposed to win you games next year. To lose two of your top players it definitely hurts. But like I've told you, and you know, like kind of the, the general consensus is around the Sun Devils. If you're going to lose somebody at any positional group, it's going to be the, the defensive line. I think Coach uh, Rob Rodriguez does a phenomenal job coaching his guys up, and I think that the, the depth at the defensive line is phenomenal. You have freshman Robbie Harrison, who you know a lot of people are extremely high on. 
Uh, thankfully, Omar Norman Lott decided to return to Arizona oh, State. Yeah. So that was another boost to defensive line. Um, TJ Pesafea is, is another name to watch. He had a pretty good spring practice, but I think all eyes are kind of on BJ Green now. BJ Green, who led the team in sacks last year with five as a uh, basically like a defensive tackle, almost like a nose guy. Um, look for him to have a huge, huge impact hitting into 2022. All eyes are going to be on him. You know, it's never fair to expect somebody, especially a guy like BJ Green, to fill in the shoes of a guy like Jermaine Lole. But, I mean, there's a lot of excitement about BJ Green. So if, if you're picking one guy to watch next year to kind of uh, help fill that role as best as possible, it's going to be Green. Yeah, I mean, BJ Green is a guy that me and Connor were really starting to get high on. Uh, when Connor was still with the podcast earlier in the year, BJ Green, definitely someone that I'm excited for. Uh, actually talked about Robbie Harrison yesterday on the podcast as a potential like sleeper impact guy for the team. Uh, love that you bring up Pesafi. Uh, I totally just butchered that. How do you pronounce it? Pesafea. Pesafea. Okay. I'm going to remember that moving forward. But I know that you had brought up Pesafea a few times during spring practice as a guy who was starting to show out big time. Uh, I'm a huge Omar Norman Lott fan as well. When he did decide to come back to Arizona State, that was huge for the team. So I think there is a lot of guys here. And this was something I mentioned on the podcast yesterday is right now until someone definitively stands out, you're going to rotate these guys. And I do really like the idea of rotating them. I also like the idea of... Uh, uh, Nesta Jade Silvera potentially yes. finding yep. himself. Cannot alone. forget about him. Yep. Yeah. So don't don't forget about uh, Nesta, and then don't forget about Garen Stansberry as well. Uh, Coach Rodriguez called him a Doberman spring practice, and okay. you know Doberman kind of whenever they're puppy, but little awkward. You know, don't really know what to do with the big size, but once Doberman kind of gets in the groove a little bit, you know, start adding muscle, you know, definition to the Doberman. It's a wild dog. And that's exactly how Arizona State sees a guy like Darren Stansberry. So that'll be another interesting development to watch next year as well. Yeah, definitely. Lots of guys to rotate around, get 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 creative, do a little experimenting. Because right now, without any definitive guys, like you said, I feel like BJ Green is probably the best and most proven guy there. And then rotate the other guys until you can find a groove and a rhythm with what you see. And obviously not defensive tackle, but here's hoping, fingers crossed, that Trevez Moore can find a way to stay healthy. Yes. Yeah, please. 100%. Let's go ahead and head into the final break of this edition of the podcast. When we return, we got one more guy to talk about being Ricky Pearsall. This is the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. And again, thank you guys so much for making the Locked on Sun Devils your first listen every day. Make sure that you tune into the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Rafael Barlow, Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Lee Thulin give fans an in-depth look into the biggest prospects and the latest player rankings, and of course, big boards. Follow the Locked On NBA Big Board every day on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Donnie, if it wasn't bad enough to lose Lole, we did lose Ricky Pearsall as well, the number one wide receiver. Uh, heading into the season for Arizona State, number one by a landslide. This was a guy that I had said many a times was Julian Edelman light. And it was just so, so crappy that we had to lose him. Obviously, I'm pro player. I hope that it works out for him. He gets that NIL money and maybe benefits himself for his future and gets to play with uh, uh, the Richardson kid quarterback. I can't remember. Is it Antonio Richardson or something like that? 
Uh, I think they're calling them AR-15 down in Florida, so it's got to start with an A. Yeah, sounds like Antonio Richardson is correct, but I know that he's a guy that... Anthony, Anthony. Anthony, yes, Anthony yep. Richardson. Thank you. Uh, I know they're very excited about him. I'm sure Pearsall is very excited about him. And like I mentioned earlier, Brandon Copeland, their number one receiver from last year, is gone. So Pearsall has an inside track to be their number one receiver. Uh, overall thoughts on Pearsall's departure? Tough. Tough. Um, the the timing was always something that kind of caught me. Because with Jermaine having the transfer portal, you knew it was definitely for NIL and you couldn't really blame him. Um, reports initially came out whenever Pearsall entered uh, the portal and like Eric Gentry as well. Eric Gentry went and secured a bag at USC. So, you know, you don't really need to question the motives behind that. But whenever Pearsall hit the portal, it was, hey, it's not NIL driven. It's kind of just like football driven. And that's from one of his family members is that, you know, it's, it's more so a football thing. Um, why go through all the spring practice? and then know your program is going to be searching for an outside quarterback, one that, you know, at least consensus-wise at the moment, is viewed as a better quarterback than the two you have right now. Um, you know, it, it, it's a climate and a program you're very comfortable with. You know you're the number one guy here. Why now? Why make that move? And he ends up going to Florida. He also did draw interest um, from Oregon and Auburn, and I believe there was one other program. I think Notre Dame was also interested in him as well. Um, ultimately, it came down to Oregon and Florida, and obviously ended up choosing the Gators, uh, which, funny enough, their slogan for this upcoming year is scared money, don't make money. And so I think that's hilarious when looking at the, the grand scope of why Pearsall left. Um, as far as Arizona State goes, definitely a big blow. Um, I know he's not really viewed as like a top, top receiver, but he was Arizona State's top receiver, and he's a very um, nifty guy in the slot, a, a superb route runner, great after the catch as well. And, you know, he, to quote the great Booby Mellis from Friday Night Lights, and he can pass. So I believe he had two throwing touchdowns during his time at ASU yes, as well. So uh, he kind of he was the Swiss Army knife that Arizona State looked to whenever they needed a big play. And I feel like majority of the big plays that weren't Rashad White last year came down to Ricky Pearsall doing it, you know, making that big play that they needed. So for the program to lose him after losing Jaden Daniels, three of their five starting off the linemen and losing Rashad White and Chip Trainum and LV Bunkley Shelton and the tight end to the NFL draft. Not great, Bob. Not at all. Arizona State got absolutely decimated at the wide receiver position. But looking from the scope of the Gators, What's this kind of impact? Do you think he could be the number one receiver? How does this help Anthony Richardson? Is this going to help uh, the offense definitively? Is it going to kind of keep them where they were last year? Just kind of overall thoughts. Yeah, to kind of uh, touch off of what Brandon um, was telling you about. And by the way, for those who are listening, if you want to know a little bit more about, uh, you know, it's just Pearsall, what he might bring to Florida. Um, I think Brandon did a, a fine enough job covering the entire scope of the offense where you can get a good idea of what Pearsall is going to be like in the Gators uniform. Um, Richie, I can tell you there's a lot of people that are very excited in Florida for a guy like Ricky Pearsall. I think he definitely has the opportunity to step into the Gators offense and become the number one receiver that a program like Florida needs. Now, obviously, um, the size is a little bit concerning, you know, how he fits in their offense. I'm not quite sure. 
whatever comes down to the X's and O's. But you know, if a big time program like Florida is looking to add a receiver, like Pierce all this late into the process, there's absolutely a chance that he's going to be the starter come week one. Wouldn't surprise me. And I mean, uh, you had mentioned this and I feel like a lot of people kind of forget this factor of Pearsall is he truly is a playmaker for the team. Uh, had, a, had a passing, rushing, and plenty of receiving touchdowns for the team last year. And anybody who watched all of the games, if you recall the, UC, the UCLA game, I mean, he absolutely torched them multiple times. This, this Look, this isn't Tyreek Hill. He's not running a 4-2-40 time, but he's got that game speed where he's going to be a lot quicker on the field than he is uh, on, on the track and on the 40 time. And pretty much whenever the ball was in Pearsall's hands, it felt like he had a chance to make a play, whether that was getting a clutch first down or burning a team deep. And I, overall, I think Florida is getting a very underrated playmaker. But flipping Definitely. to the Arizona State side of things, we had kind of touched on this previously with Emory Jones, and we've hinted at it throughout the podcast, but – Give me your thoughts on his departure from Arizona State. On uh, Pearsall or Bunkley Shelton? Pearsall. Pearsall. Okay. Yeah, so um, just in terms of Arizona State, definitely a big loss. Um, the Cam Johnson, uh, you know, arrival from Vanderbilt does help a little bit. And if you did watch Arizona State's spring showcase, uh, Giovanni Sanders was kind of uh, the, the second guy to replicate a lot of what Ricky Pearsall did in the offense. I don't know if that was just an experimental thing from Arizona State's, you know, an offensive coaches. I don't know if Giovanni Sanders does have a bigger role than probably a lot of us think he does at the current moment. Um, but when you look at the overall scope of the receiving core, somebody's got to step up. Somebody has to step up in order for Arizona State to be able to do the damage that they need to do next season, whether that's Cam Johnson from Vanderbilt. Elijah Badger is a, a guy a lot of people have eyes on. Um, you know, sat out last year, didn't not, didn't set out last year, but um, didn't really touch the ball like he should have last year. Uh, wasn't due to Ricky Pearsall and LV Bunkley Shelton being there. We don't really know. But now it looks like his opportunity to shine whenever the team needs him to the most. Chad Johnson Jr. has been not living off of his dad's name for a while, but there's a lot of hope that he can almost replicate the things that his dad did at the professional level at Arizona State. So, you, you know, you don't really know what you have going on there. Brian Edwards, you already brought him up, a veteran guy that they got through the transfer portal from Utah. Somebody's got to lead these group of young pups. You know, it's time for him to step up and, you know, hopefully earn himself some money next year. I said this earlier in the podcast, there's potential in the receiving core. I mean, you see it, I see it. Everybody that follows Arizona State football knows what these guys can do. But the problem is, is that Arizona State's receiving core for the last couple of years, basically after Frank Darby departed and got hurt, it's been potential. And that's yeah. been kind of it outside of Ricky Pearsall. Pretty much, man. It just feels like there, there was a nice little stretch there where Arizona State was very strong at the receiver position. You had Jalen, you had Nikhil, you had Ayuk. There was the potential of Darby. And, you know, Darby got injured, but he was a very good deep threat for the team. And now the last couple of years, it's like you said, it's been the potential. It's been the hope that someone can stand out because Pearsall has been the number one receiver and he's not been spectacular, unfortunately, but maybe some of that has to do with the quarterback play. Regardless, Arizona State is certainly hurting at the wide receiver position and losing Pearsall is just, it feels like a death blow. 
Uh, we didn't have enough time to talk about Bunkley Shelton. This is something that we could always touch on in the future. He is another big time loss. Anyone who listens to podcasts knows that I was a big Bunkley Shelton fan heading into the year. And when Pearsall announced he was transferring, I was also very high on Bunkley Shelton right before he announced that he was transferring and he is going to Oklahoma, which is interesting because they're going through a transitional phase, losing their top two quarterbacks and Lincoln Riley. But, you know, neither here nor there. Ultimately, I think that Pearsall maybe is looking bigger picture, similar to Jaden, where maybe he thinks that playing in a more national spotlight in the SEC on the East Coast, where he's not playing his games, you know, at 10, 11 at night on the East Coast, there is a little more opportunity to get noticed there. Maybe there's an upgrade at quarterback. Maybe Anthony Richardson is going to be better than what Emory Jones is. I know there's a lot of people excited at Florida over him. So maybe there's there's some big time upside for him to be, you know, just a big upgrade over what Arizona State had. Yeah, and that's something you definitely can't blame him for either. And I, I know oh, no. a little bit earlier in the podcast, you had said that you were pro player. And I, I feel like I, I would like to think I am a little bit aligned in the same views as well. I mean, they, honestly, man, if you're trying to go to the NFL draft, and I know the Sun Devils did have two receivers taken in the first round in back-to-back years, but just in the overall scope of the national spotlight, I would rather take my chances at a program like Florida, Oregon, Notre Dame, or Auburn, as opposed to Arizona State. And you know, that's no slight to the Sun Devils. That's no slight to the things that they've been able to accomplish over the last couple of years. But just trying to play in a long game, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, I think you almost have to – roll the dice and maybe that's what Ricky Pearsall did feel you know he felt like now was probably a, a better time almost more than ever to you know test his luck you know he had a free transfer in the portal he hadn't used yet and I mean he, he ended up going to Florida you know the teams were definitely interested in him and um, you know hopefully it pans out for him hopefully man like I said definitely pro player obviously the Arizona State fan of me is super bummed that you're losing two of the best players that you had returning here but with NIL opportunities, the potential to increase your draft stock, which all these kids' dreams is to get to the pro level. And both of them, the other being Lole, who we previously talked about, both of them do potentially have NFL futures. So yep. here's hoping that it does work out for them. But we're going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. Again, thank you guys so much for making us your first listen every day. Remember, we're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. If you would like to check us out on a visual platform, but wherever you get the podcast, make sure that you hit the follow or subscribe button and turn on notifications. So you get an update whenever we put out new content, follow me on Twitter at Richie Brad's 36, follow the podcast while you're there as well at L O underscore sun devils and Donnie, please do a quick little plug for where the people can find your content. Yeah. At all sun devils on Twitter, straight like that. And then at Donnie Druin, for all Sun Devils and Phoenix Suns coverage. If you guys like the Suns, check me yes, out, please. I was, funny enough, I was going <laughs> to plug that for you. So, yeah, there's Phoenix Suns coverage. Donnie does a little bit of Arizona Cardinals coverage, and he does the uh, he does the Arizona State coverage, obviously. So, Arizona sports fans, and I know there's a lot of you listening to this podcast, definitely make sure that you hit the subscribe button for Donnie because he's constantly putting out new content. Absolutely love it. Donnie, this obviously is far from the last time you'll be back on here. I'm sure we'll get you on very, very soon again as the NBA draft is coming up. And I would love to talk a little bit about our guys, Marion Jackson and uh, Kamani Lawrence and maybe potential futures for them. Who knows? 
This will be something that we get to talk about, though. But that is going to wrap up the Locked on Sun Devils podcast Friday edition. I will have a bonus episode coming out tomorrow for you guys. So stick tuned for that. And until next time, you keep it locked right here on Locked on Sun Devils.